it is when that bass crashes in. You know it's time to begin, and wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC Special. You are one of our geeks and sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. Maybe you're doing chores. Maybe you're commuting. Maybe you're just on a walk. We're going to be with you either way, anyway, all the ways in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free. Thanks to our sponsors this week, Cashfly, Third Love, and Casper. They're bringing the show to you, DLC, of course, the show, all about games and their many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I am your host, Jeff Kanata, that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis, the guy who will not stop saying, Viva la France, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Oh, I'm sorry, Jeff. I, I, I'm not sure you're talking to me now that I've uh, victory royale in Fortnite. I just I didn't hear you directly, properly address me as such. But that's fine. I is guess French. A, the French. Is there a won. title for victory royale that that I'm supposed to be aware of? Is it is it um, Monsieur Royale? I think it's called late to the party. But uh, I'm happy to be a part of it. <laughs> Were you sure you weren't playing against bots? Uh, I was playing on verified humans. I mean, verified switch. So like, you know, not the hardest of the hardcore, but I, (laughs) I never thought I'd see that screen, man. Who hot, hot dog, hot. Congratulations. Congratulations. Your, your family respect you more. And everyone, as you walk down the street, had a little more of a twinkle in their eye when they looked at you. The world seems sweeter for a a brief, brief second. Dude, I'm not going to, there's a call that came that I answered that came, you know, right after. And if that call had come five minutes earlier, I would have, I would just would have taken it because I was just casually playing. I didn't know. I, and who knows what fate would have unfolded for me then? Maybe I would have gone back in time. Maybe I would have tried to sleep with my mom. Like the whole world would have know. been different, you know? Yeah. And uh, now you've now you've beat the game, so there's no point in continuing to play it, right? I saw credits. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, I yeah. beat it. That game never changes. It's the same game every time you play it. So I'm happy to be done with it. Hey guys, guess what? We have an awesome guest. We got a lot to talk about. I'm so excited to get this show started. You know that DLC is always your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian, but this week, oh man, I'm so excited because DLC stands for discussing legacy consoles because we have self-professed video game history enthusiast and the co-host of the Game Blitz podcast, Kelsey Lewin joins us for the first time. Hey Kelsey. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. We're excited to have you here. Um, We're excited to talk about games. Kind of a weird week of news. Not a ton going on, but let's dive in and start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by using our subreddit. It's 5x5dlc.reddit.com. You can also just hang out and meet folks there, some cool community, uh, talking about games, talking about the show, talking about what have you. I recommend you give it a shot. Kelsey, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Well... So my story of the week is probably one that, I mean, probably doesn't deserve the designation of story of the week, but it does for <laughs> me personally. <laughs> That's all that counts. Yeah. And it's that 
someone has discovered that the generic NES item inside Animal Crossing for the GameCube um, is a complete NES emulator. Like, it's the full thing. Uh, you might know if you've played that game that there are some items in the game that allow you to play very specific, uh, you know, you can play Excite Bike, you can play golf and that sort of thing. And it's just one at a time. Each console has a little image of the game that you're about to play, like laying on top of it, like a little box art. Um, but then there's one that has no box art on it. And normally it just gives you a message that's like, hey, I don't have any games. I'd love to play this, but there's no games. Uh, but it turns out someone, this software security researcher, James Chambers, um, he discovered that when it gives you that message, it's actually checking your memory card to see if you have any NES ROMs in it in a specific spot. So he was able to sort of reverse engineer it and turn the thing into a full-blown NES emulator. This is crazy. First <laughs> of all, crazy. it's 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 crazy that we're just sort of discovering it now, which is which is wild. But do, I love that you're bringing up already some cool video game history moment that's pertinent to this week's news. It's it's really neat. But I'm curious what you think about this. Do you think that there was originally a plan to let you play NES games inside Animal Crossing? Like yeah, full I, on any anyone you want? I feel like there's got to be. I feel like there must have been some kind of plan uh, for some distribution service. And I don't know exactly how that would have been. You know, Nintendo's done all kinds of things from kiosks where you can print stickers to you know, mall events where you can look hink, yeah, link up your Game Boy and, and get a Mew, you know, on your game. They've, right. they've done all kinds of things like that. So it stands to reason that this would be another distribution service in some weird way that they maybe were thinking about doing or meant to do, but it didn't happen for whatever reason. So uh, it's interesting. And it's never, as far as I know, no one who, you know, who worked on the development of this game has ever discussed it. Yeah, and then this is the GameCube era, right? So it it's crazy to me also that already by that time, and I guess that had been several years now, but already by that time it was just easier for them to put a full NES emulator in the game on the on the ROM than than, you know, just put bits and pieces of of code in to make Excite Bike, et cetera. It was just easier to just have a full on emulator. Right. Yeah. That's pretty crazy to me. It's it's neat. Uh, Christian, did you see this story? What do you think about it? Yeah, I mean, I think it is one of those things of if you're going to put games in, what's the most effective way or efficient way to do it to put in a game? And I guess if you're going to have, if you're going to run old games in a thing, it's not like a game-specific emulator, right? An S game is an S game is an S game. And those games weren't huge, um, you know, by any stretch of the imagination, even when the GameCube is out. So I think it kind of makes sense. It, it's it's always interesting to me to see, though, like that still some emulators struggle with certain games. We're now with like the NES Mini and SNES Mini and stuff like that, or Classic, whatever they're officially called, where you know they've been hacked to here and back, but some games still struggle on the emulator versus others. And you're never going to quite get that exact um, console experience with some games. But I, I love the fact that... Um, <laughs> I want someone to to demake Animal Crossing so you could play like a NES version of Animal Crossing in Animal Crossing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing that this James Chambers guy brings up is that well, his original goal in even investigating this was to find a way in to modify the GameCube version of Animal Crossing. And he says since it is it is actually built to run outside code within it, it's built to run NES code, that theoretically means that you can use that sort of backdoor to modify 
Animal Crossing and create new content in old Animal Crossing. Is that something that would get you excited, Kelsey? Yeah, people have already using this exact, yeah, using the NES item, this generic item, because it's it's bouncing the game to the memory card. It's saying, hey, look at the memory card. So you can, you know, squish some files, whatever you want it to do, whatever mod you're trying to make to the game. You know, I'm not... I don't know about all of the technical, you know, specifications of this. I'm, I'm no expert, but from what I was reading, I mean, there's already ways to do that using the same item because it's checking the memory card. So someone was able to, from this, load uh, a way to spawn any item that you want in the game in your inventory by writing the number of the item in a letter and then closing <laughs> out of the letter. And then you can drop it on the ground. And this is, I mean, of course, it's any item that you could normally get, you know, any piece of clothing, any furniture or whatever, but it also includes things like entire buildings and the waterfall and that sort of thing. And you can have those in your inventory and drop them on the ground and then you can have five waterfalls for no reason. That's cool. Yeah. He's (laughs) Chambers is talking about saying, he said uh, his quote was he wanted to add in new holidays or other mini games and be able to play them on a real GameCube. And I guess that's theoretically possible. So uh, a neat discovery and it's cool how old games like this can still be mined for new new discoveries uh i think there's another story like that that i might be bringing up but uh christian what is your story of the week uh my story of the week is it's it's like uh, i guess there's a silver lining at the end of it but it still makes me a little sad so pt came out on playstation and it was the teaser for the next silent hill when that was a thing and when konami still made games and then we know what's happened with that, right? It got shut down. It got removed from the store. You couldn't down, re-download it. People with uh, PlayStations that had it on it were selling uh, at a high price on eBay and secondhand shops and stuff like that. And uh, now we have Death Stranding coming. And all the things that came out of PT never being a thing and Konami kind of getting out of video games. Well, a um, Kibs, Kimsar, Kimsar, Quimsar? Uh, an individual, a, a youngster, 17-year-old youngster, spent time youngster, recreating... Really doubling down on the word, word youngster there. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Yeah, 17-year-olds. <laughs> Under the age of like, uh, still in high school. That's a youngster. Yeah, okay, for olds like us. Yes, yeah, yes, okay. for olds like us. To have spent 180 hours or whatever it is, re- did a remake of PT for PC... And uh, apparently it was it was pretty stellar and pretty spot on and people were getting pretty excited about it. And then Konami said, hey, you, you can't you can't do that. We got to shut it down. Legal reasons, this, that and the other. You got to take it down. They said they called him personally and asked him to take it down. But this is a silver lining. They offered him an internship at Konami. So here is Kim Sar, who is really good at making video games, can now work for a comp intern at a company that doesn't make video games. That's that's win win. <laughs> well, they make video games. I mean, they just put out a they just put out a Metal Gear uh, survival uh, team based shootery thing, didn't they? No, I don't. I don't remember that game. Yeah. Um, first of all, did we ever find out what PT stood for, or is that still a mystery? Probably a thing. <laughs> Probably a thing. I like that. Po- possibly a thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think this is cool. This is cool. Uh, it's like, hey, did you want to um, – you, you donated 180 hours of your life to, to make this. You want to donate uh, unpaid hours to us instead? <laughs> He's like, yeah. Um, what do you think about this, Kelsey? I, I've got mixed feelings on it. You know, it, obviously he 
put a bunch of work into it, did something really cool. I totally understand there being legal reasons for having to to get it shut down. But I don't know. I feel like an internship is just kind of like a it it is the right idea. It's the right direction. But I don't know. Off, I know he's seventeen, but offer a little bit more than an internship. I feel like like well, hey, maybe we're that'll put you grow in, into a you know we're gonna put you into some sort of program where we are going to hire you as opposed to, I mean, internship to me sounds like, Hey, you get, I think maybe the, the unpaid internship thing is what always sticks in my mind. I don't know if he's getting paid or not, but every time I hear the word internship, I'm like, are they even paying the poor kid? Well, I think that's why they would use that word, right? If it was a paid <laughs> position, they would say the word job. Right, we exactly. offered him a job. So yeah. I feel like they should go for the job part or they should have been very clear <laughs> about it being a paid internship if it is. Well, I think there's um, I I agree with you theoretically, but there's a it's a st- bit of a sticky wicket, right? Because ultimately, if you infringe on my IP and make something that is technically illegal for you to make, and then I reward you uh, too much, it kind of ma- it kind of incentivizes everybody to do that. Yeah, that's you know, fair. And, and I feel like, and even broader than just if I'm the IP holder, I think. It tends to be the case that people that do stuff like this are the people that get noticed and uh, the, you know something happens from them rather than the people that do what I think is the much, I think, more, I don't know, traditionally right thing to do, which is make your own game. Like spend 180 hours, make your own thing. and But that is a much harder road to, to hoe uh, and much less likely to get a bunch of recognition and to get somebody from Konami to call you and offer you a, any kind of position. Right. And especially so it's, it's a weird, Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, especially when you're talking about media coverage too. I mean, anyone can throw together a game. There's game jams and there's all these, you know, classes even for high schoolers where they just make a game. So you're absolutely right. I mean, in terms of media coverage, they're much more likely to say, Hey, someone's remaking this or someone's doing a fan spin on this than, Right. local 17 year old makes a game and it's kind of unfortunate right that it takes somebody doing something that is on the edge of legality but also isn't isn't demonstrating an ability to create something original like he did an amazing thing and put in a lot of hard work and uh you would assume that pt was made by a heck of a lot more than one person uh but he also didn't he also just copied something right he didn't actually create something new and while that is demonstrating a certain level of skill that is laudable and and impressive it also i would prefer people to get inspired to do this kind of thing would would make something that is demonstrating their creativity and that would be rewarded by companies like this so unless what he's trying to what this person's trying to get noticed for is something else other than an original idea, right? Like a lot goes into game making beyond just an original idea. And so this was coding or texture or, you know, all of that other stuff where I think as Kelsey said, you know, if you do something like this, a a blog is much more likely to write it up and I am more likely to click on it than a local youngster. (laughs) Yes. I'm sticking with it. Uh, (laughs) release the scary hallway game yeah, i'd be Christian, like Christian's reading a headline in his newspaper <laughs> uh look a youngster does think young kids read do. all about it here you hear you avoid the 7-eleven after 9 p.m <laughs> youngsters gather um but you know and uh, you uh 
who was it in uh, the chat said, pointed it out. Oh yeah, W. Matthew, the person who is making another Metroid 2 remake is now working with Microsoft at Ori. You get noticed because of that. Right. A lot of people have been noticed for their um, mods with um, Bethesda games over the years and Epic mods back in the day on Unreal Tournament. And yep. so I think there is a history of, sure. and, and, and to some extent too, even in the music space, right? Like a DJ remixing, too well-known i took the top song of the day combined it with this number two song of the day yeah and i made a hit song and yeah it's, it's a great song <laughs> yeah I, I my objection isn't you know full-throated i i'm not i'm just kind of bringing up the counterpoint to this i think it is a great story and i'm glad it's an amazing thing that this youngster was able to do um but uh but i you know i and i even acknowledge the fact that we probably wouldn't be talking about it if it was like 17 year old kid makes their own game and gets a job at a studio it's like oh no that's how it's supposed to work and this is more outside the norm and more as kelsey was pointing out more attention grabbing so even we probably wouldn't be talking about it and so you know i'm just as much of the problem as anybody else but i just wanted to bring up that aspect of it because i think it's not insignificant you know yeah I, I hope that, you know, they get a job at Konami and the Konami starts making great games again, right? Like that, that'd be, that'd be fun. Or, or hopefully they, they land somewhere and are able to pursue this passion because there certainly was a lot of care put into the. the I game. hope that all of the coffees that he's getting for everybody are amazing. You know, uh, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So my story of the week is another sort of older game that we found something new about. I mean, we didn't even really find it out new. It, it, we sort of knew this about it uh, a couple of years ago, but there's just new information that hit this week, and I find it fascinating. So Aliens Colonial Marines is a game that you may not remember, dear listener, because it did not do particularly well, and it certainly didn't review well. I didn't care for the game much. But one of the biggest issues it had when it was released, one of the biggest reasons it didn't review well, is that the AI was pretty terrible. And a couple of years ago, an amateur modder by the name of Templar GFX back, uh, back in 2016, uh, released a fix for Aliens Colonial Marines that actually improved the AI dramatically. And a lot of people uh, were congratulating that person. And just this week, <laughs> we found out there's a, a new interview with uh, Templar GFX back. And he was talking about how uh, the, the way – I'm assuming it's a he. I probably shouldn't do that. It may be a she. Uh, the way that Templar uh, managed to fix it was literally deleting one letter in the code. It was literally a typo in one line of code that completely borked the AI. Uh, it, there was a, a reference to the word tether. There was a, uh, a subroutine that was called that had the word tether in it. And tether was spelled T-E-A-T-H-E-R instead of how it's correctly spelled T-E-T-H-E-R. And all that Templar had to do was remove that A and all of a sudden the AI knew what was going on and the way this was described was that uh, xenomorphs, when they spawn, they're attached to a zone tether, which is uh, a thing that tells the xenomorph what area is its fighting space and where the different exits are in combat. So the xenomorph switches to new tethers, such as one behind you, so it can flank or d disperses. And what was happening was the xenomorphs weren't attaching to any tethers because it was misspelled. And this 
person went through the code and just went, oh, look, it's misspelled. I'll delete one letter and release a mod to do that. And everybody's like, you're a genius. It works. The game is so much better. I find this hilarious. And I suspect you do too, Kelsey. What do you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I am (laughs) no programmer. So I have absolutely no idea how common this kind of thing is or how easy it would be theoretically for someone to catch. But just the concept of, you know, a single letter causing this amount of problems for the developers is hilarious, honestly. I mean, it's sad, but it's also hilarious. Yeah, it is definitely sad. I mean, especially for a game that got filleted when it came out for poor AI. And you got to feel... The thing that I want to bring up about this is how difficult it is, I think, to determine whether AI is working right or not. You know, I I would assume that if you made the game, you would kind of notice that your xenomorphs aren't behaving the way you thought they were supposed to. So it is a little baffling that they wouldn't have caught this. But also, AI is so nebulous and you feel like, well, we told it to do stuff and it's kind of behaving this way. I guess this is how it's supposed to behave. And so when you're playtesting, maybe the playtesters are like, well, you know, this is feels weird or uh, is too easy or too hard. But I think it's difficult to realize that it's straight up a bug of how the behavior is 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 uh manifesting in the game because we don't know how it's supposed to manifest if we're not the people that made it um so i i find that all fascinating and and like you said very very sad so sad i never spell anything wrong jeff as you know so this story i just i doesn't (laughs) it doesn't make sense to me i just don't champion speller christian spicer I mean, I I peeked ahead. I didn't see it. Um. <laughs> that is a joke literally just for me. Yeah. You, you're on a th- th- tens of thousands, hundred thousands of people potentially listening to this. And you literally did a joke just for me. I yeah. My audience. And, and guess what? You laughed. So you're welcome, sweetheart. All right. I nailed that joke just for you. That's called friendship, Jeff. Man. Christian misspelled the word peak this week. Uh, and I pointed it out <laughs> to him. So uh, I, yeah. Um, I it's also want to. Funny bring... if you explain it, Jeff. Jeez. <laughs> it's definitely not funny if you don't context. explain. It. <laughs> what did you say, Kelsey? I said it's context. We have to know why you're laughing. We don't. Yes. <laughs> yes. And yeah. Yes. Um, okay. So another thing I want to bring up because I think this is a, a, a really heartening story, and I like uh, when we can talk about positive stuff in the gaming world. Um, new blog post over on the official. Overwatch forums uh, from Blizzard and from uh, Jeff Kaplan, the head game designer on Overwatch, saying that their recent changes to some of the um, social features of Overwatch have borne fruit in the sense that they are reducing the general toxicity level in the game. Uh, Evidently, recently in Overwatch, uh, some new features were were unveiled, including the ability to look for group and have uh, certain filters on that look for group so that you can require that people are on voice comms or other kinds of things. And also, even I think more importantly, the ability to uh, endorse other players for good behavior, to, to give commendations when people are doing good things. And it's evidently worked at least in a small part, Kaplan wrote that uh, in competitive matches, abusive chat was down 26.4% in the Americas and 16.4% in Korea. And the number of daily players being abusive to others was also down 28.8% in the Americas and 21.6% in Korea. 
So, uh, Kelsey, I wonder if you, uh, I, I imagine you agree this is a good thing, but I wonder if you think this should be in more things, not just the ability to complain when people are bad, but actually commend and reward people for being good. Oh my gosh, it's genius. Like, I, that's a way that you can make sure it can't really be abused. Because when you give players the option to sort of downgrade someone or report them or say, you know, this person is a bad person, you open it up for them doing that based on whatever the heck they feel like, you know, they can, they can report you or say that you are being rude or whatever, even if what they're really upset about is you didn't play well, or they just have decided that there's something in your username they don't like, you know. So the (laughs) idea of giving them something positive and saying, okay, well, I'm just going to start you know, rewarding people who are good as opposed to trying to punish what's bad. I mean, I feel like that's a much easier way to get the the results that you want, frankly. Yeah. And it, you know, it, it, um, it habitualizes the behavior that you want to have rather than saying, Hey, if you're angry, here's a way to vent your anger. It's more like, Hey, if you're happy, here's a way to be more happy. And evidently they have actually, um, reduced queue times for people that have positive feedback from other players. And there are other sort of, they say still unspecified rewards, but the idea of getting my thought process into who's being good rather than who's being bad and having people have some desire to be in the the good bucket, uh, I think is huge. And I think, and I'm so glad that it's working And I hope that this is uh, a huge step in where all online games go. I would love to see much more, uh, you know, I want to reward the cool guy and be the cool guy than the other way around. Christian, what do you think about this? Yeah, it's a type of thing, too, that I think the way Overwatch is implementing it is it's hard to play sarcastically, right? Because that's always the fear, kind of when they (laughs) announce this, too. What's the idea of, like... um, in person, kids can be cruel, right? So the person who youngsters, did, you mean youngsters? Youngsters, yes. Uh, yeah. The person who did the worst, and everybody been like, "Oh, hey, here you go. You did so great. Oh, here's this award right. for you." Yeah. Hearthstone, right? Hearthstone is a great example of those <laughs> emotes where it's like, "Good job, good job." And if somebody's like spamming "good job," you can tell that being sarcastic, the "good jobing you." You know, it's a yes or yeah, yes. But when you're giving actual, real rewards. You, oh, they're doing that sarcastic. But look at these sweet. It'd be like, oh, hey, you did really good. Here's a hundred dollars. <laughs> Take a hundred, and you're like, that's really a hundred dollars. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll try harder next time. But this was awesome. Um, it, but it's a it's a tricky thing, right? In terms of community and players, I think by and large, things like Extra Life and and Child's Play and a lot of and games done quick. There are a lot of great gaming causes out there where it makes your heart feel good and like this community and how great it is but there's a lot of toxicity in it as well and so i think seeing games actively engaging and trying to highlight kindness and the good part of their community with things like this and also um being actively engaged in their forums and stuff like that is 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 really positive and really cool to see i agree bravo to to blizzard and we talked i don't know how long ago now it's been several weeks uh, maybe several months um about this coming together of a lot of big, a lot of the big uh, video game publishers and developers to sort of get on the same page about how to address toxicity in games. And we mentioned Blizzard as being one of the key players. I hope this approach permeates. I hope it 
uh, I hope they're sharing their, I mean, clearly they are because it's public and we're talking about it, but I hope even beyond putting out a blog post like this, I hope they're talking to other developers and saying, Hey, we, you know, we see some traction on this. Let's make this more of a industry standard kind of way of handling it. And, um, you know, I, I would like, I think even, you know, even with kids, even with youngsters, you see this working, you know, if you're raising kids, I've been reading a lot of books cause I've started raising kids, uh, and it's positive reinforcement. And, uh, instead of, you know, uh, negative reinforcement all the time, it's, it's psychologically proven to work. So why not implement it in video games as well? All right. Uh, that's your news, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we got uh, lots more to come. We got tons of games to talk about. But I do want to thank our first sponsor, which is Cashfly. Way back in 1999, Cashfly started as DownloadHosting.com as a response to the need for high-quality, reliable file distribution for small software developers. And thorough research and development with users paid off, resulting in unsurpassed reliability and performance worldwide. By working to understand what customers are looking for, they have built long-lasting business relationships and custom CDN environments for their customers. Cashfly works with you to create a customized plan and transparent pricing that best suits your needs. Businesses grow and your needs may shift over time. That's why they provide you with continued support to ensure that you reach your performance goals. You've got a top-notch support staff with lightning-fast responsiveness. They handle all the bandwidth for 5x5, five five, and they really are fantastic. They make sure you get the show and all uh, this show and all the shows on 5x5 five five fast and easy. They're the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Check them out at cashfly.com. That's C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. Time to talk about the games we have been playing. And Kelsey, I am so excited to talk more about Octopath Traveler. Uh, I still have not purchased it, but uh, that's only because I've been playing other things. I'm definitely intrigued. What is your take on Octopath Traveler? So I'm not super far in yet. I think I've been playing for about six hours, maybe. Um, but I, I love it, honestly. Uh, so I one of my favorite older games is Final Fantasy IV. And this is, I mean, it's very much like pretty much all of the old Square Enix RPGs. It's not specifically like four, but uh, that's sort of what was on my mind when I started playing this game because just visually and, and with the music and everything. Um, but yeah, it's it's really good. I know you guys talked about it a little bit last week, so I don't want to go over all of the same things, but the characters themselves are a little shallow, which is okay, because that's sort of, again, like the older RPGs. I mean, they just... The stories of modern RPGs have gotten a lot more in-depth and sometimes convoluted, and this is very much <laughs> like... It's very straightforward. They all have their own goals. They meet up. There's not this big sequence and story to kind of get them all together. They just sort of meet up and are like, you want to help? Sure. Okay, cool. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) And while that bothered me at first, because I love story-based games, I'm starting to appreciate it because meeting up with eight different characters and having to have a super deep understanding of each person's motivations for helping each other would probably get pretty annoying after a while (laughs) so so i'm okay with it now but the 
obviously the visuals and the music or whatever one are talking about this game what makes it so incredible we don't get games that look like this anymore and you know for good reason obviously graphics have improved a whole lot since the 16-bit era but it looks so beautiful with the modern lighting and the modern engines just kind of with a perfect perfect pixel art it's like the peak of super nintendo if you could throw a super nintendo into a modern engine and right yeah and i really do if you enjoy rpgs i really do recommend playing this game but i will say that you know being only six plus hours in right now i mean i'm still very much at the beginning (laughs) i'm just enjoying what i've played so much so far especially the battle system which is uh kind of similar to like bravely default in terms of you can boost forward and attack many times or you can kind of wait and build up again and defend i don't know i'm enjoying it a lot yeah no that's exactly what i was going to ask you about because i've heard such good things about the battle system you're you're digging that i i've heard that actually outshines really even the the, you know the the story and and everything else It, it it's a game where the grind is actually fun is that your experience yeah, so far. Um, you know, I'm sure the grind will wear on me more as we get further. The one thing that's a little frustrating and and grindy, I will say, is that when you meet up with a new character, they are just level one. Mm-hmm. So they're not gonna they're not gonna race through the levels to catch up with you. They're going to start off at a lower level than you and you're gonna have to sort of protect them in battle for a while because they're just simply gonna be weaker than you. So I've been throwing my best armor onto my lowest level characters just so they don't continuously die over and over again right and you know that that i suppose is maybe a weakness of it but other than that yeah the battle system feels really nice finding weaknesses and different enemies is really satisfying when you're able to sort of break their position in the battle queue and and push them back and be able to attack more times and like the the boost system i was talking about earlier is is really satisfying as well just being able to you know, hype yourself up and get this max amount of damage that you can do all at once and just be done with the battle all in one swoop. Right. <laughs> that feels really nice. Oh man, it, it does sound great. And I, I played the demo back when it first dropped and I really dug it and you're right. It is such a visually striking uh, way of reimagining what 16 bit could look like, you know, with sort of that tilt shift perspective or the look to it and all that. Um, Christian, I thought you were going to get that this week. Did you it know? is coming. It and um, b- 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 Treasure Tracker. Um, right. I, I imagine they'll get here tomorrow. It's always frustrating when it's like I come home Friday and I'm all excited and I check the mail and they're not there. And for whatever reason, I never get anything good on Saturday. I like, <laughs> it doesn't matter <laughs> when I order it. It's not going to come on Saturday. And then it's real sad knowing that it's probably like like my my post office is very close to my house. Like I know it's there. Now I have to wait until right. Monday at like six or whenever I get my mail. It's a real, a real struggle over here at the Spicer household. <laughs> I never get any of my mail on time or any of my pre-orders on time in the mail. So I've, I've just taken to started picking them up at the stores because it, if I pre-order something to be mailed to me, you know, especially Amazon or something that guarantees you're going to get it. They don't even like apologize anymore. They're just like, nah, you're getting it Monday. Sorry. Uh, gross <laughs> leaving the house gross yeah that's okay <laughs> i needed to play this one i wasn't gonna wait <laughs> yeah no i don't blame you it sounds awesome so do you have a favorite character of the of the eight so far gosh so the best one to 
battle as is Hanit Hanit. I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce her name, the hunter. However, mm. I hate her as a person. <laughs> She's <laughs> she talks in this it's old English, but I feel like it goes beyond old English and into just like ridiculous someone who is mocking old English. Like every single word ends with F or Ost or whatever. Mm. Everything is thou dost oh, right. shalt not doeth thine. Oh, you know, that would drive me it, Yeah, nuts. No, it drives me insane. So I hate her dialogue with a passion, but she's definitely the most fun person to play as in the battle. Cool. I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna have to pick this one up too. Uh, maybe next week we'll talk about it a little more, Christian. Um, but I also noticed that you are still on that Pokemon Go train. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote that down just because I was like, well, what else am I really playing? But I mean, truly, I am still playing Pokemon Go for like an hour every day. So I'm going to ask you a personal question <laughs> and feel free not to answer what I need to ask. How much have you spent? No, that's a great question. I have spent money on this game. Now, I'm going to I'm going to say a number and you guys are probably going to chastise me. But I will preface this by saying that a lot of this has been sort of like free money. You know, money that I've gotten through, like, rewards or some kind of bonus, you know, uh, trading something in at GameStop and getting Apple Store money on it or something like that. This is the 2018 Um, version of the conversation in Clerks, just FYI. (laughs) (laughs) So I've spent a little over $200. (laughs) That's not bad. Well, you know, that's not terrible. The game's been out, what, three years, four years? Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's not that bad. But it's That's not bad. I've spent more than that on Heroes of the Storm. Okay, for sure. that makes that makes me feel better because it's yeah. definitely. And I'm starting to spend that money on Animal Crossing Pocket Camp too. I think I've only spent like seventy so far, but um, I need to slow down. <laughs> it's my, so it's so easy. Purchases. It's so easy to do. You That's know, it's too easy. Ten bucks every time you spend the ten dollars. I mean, ten dollars is not a lot of money, and I'm. continuing to play this game i've been playing it for quite a while i still play it every single day so i'm like well you know ten dollars seems totally reasonable until you've done that 20 times and then (laughs) then you're like oh yeah i I just won't get i just won't get coffee this week okay i'm never buying coffee again apparently um (laughs) that's like me at the at the movie theater i'm like man i'm not gonna spend eight dollars for popcorn all right i'll do it this time (laughs) and then i do it every time you know yeah. Anyway, um, so ha- has your Pokemon Go? I'm not going to use the word addiction. I'm going to say uh, uh, commitment. Has it been? Uh, <laughs> has it been consistent since it was released, or it's have you been, been waning? In- it's been mostly consistent, but there was probably a dip. Like they they took their sweet time releasing the second generation of Pokemon, and so. There was probably a couple months where I was just kind of logging in every once in a while and not really doing much, but they've put out a pretty consistent amount of content in terms of like events and just things happening within the game that it keeps me coming back just about every week. So, you know, right now there's the Pokemon Go Fest that was going on this weekend. I believe that was in Chicago, but they do things for people all over the world you know, the more Pokemon you catch, you'll unlock more bonuses worldwide, you know, more rare Pokemon are going to spawn, that sort of thing. And then I don't know how much Pokemon you guys have played. Are, are you familiar with shiny Pokemon? You know what that means? I don't know. I'm not. I, no, I am not. Okay, so a shiny Pokemon in, in the main series games are 
like recolors of the Pokemon and they are incredibly rare, like so rare that you can play tons and tons of hours of Pokemon and never see one your whole life because it's like a one in 8,000, something along those lines, chances of them appearing. That checks out for me. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So it'll be something like, you know, instead of a Squirtle being blue with a brown shell, it'll be like light blue with a green shell or something like that. It's just a recolor. It's just cosmetic, but it looks cool. So Pokemon Go has started to introduce shiny Pokemon. And because they do want people to actually see them every once in a while and, you know, keep you interested, it's more like a one in 300 or one in 500 chance of seeing them. So still very rare, but not impossible rare. And they'll do events just about every couple weeks now where they'll say, okay, well, this is a new shiny that's available. And right now it's like a one in 50 chance. So wow. get out there. You'll probably find one if you just if you just look hard enough or play enough. Have you gotten so one? That's what's, yeah, I've gotten quite a few. So that's what's nice. keeping me busy and keeping me playing is they're constantly saying hey you can look really cool and have this cool looking you know recolor of a pokemon don't you want your thing to have green ears instead of red ears or whatever Heck yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> sign me up i'll play for another four hours i think i realized why you go pick up your games you get to <laughs> do play pokemon go on the way or at yeah. the destination yeah absolutely that's what i was going to ask is if you found that you know as the game's been out um have you been getting like does it change your daily routine still to like go out and play or do you you know drive somewhere or take the train somewhere specifically to take over a gym or do you find yourself with you know at lunch or you know whatever saturday you're like you know i don't have anything to do today i'm I'm gonna go out and walk the town and try to catch some pokemon or is it more um you know you're going to a specific destination to specifically do a thing and then you head home Well, from day to day, I mostly just play wherever I happen to be standing. You know, if I'm waiting for the bus or even just inside my apartment, there's a couple of things nearby that I can hit and, you know, Pokemon will spawn. So it's not something I usually go out of my way for unless there's an event going on in the game. Sometimes there will be like three hour events and you'll want to leave your house and actually go somewhere for those three hour events so that you can really get the full, uh, you know, everything that they're offering. Usually it's just shiny Pokemon or, or rare Pokemon or something like that, but they'll, they'll announce it multiple weeks in advance and say, all right, so on Sunday from 11 AM to 2 PM, this is going to be happening. And I will go, okay, I'm going to make sure that those three hours of my day are free. So it, it has affected my schedule a little bit, but only on those events. Otherwise, I'm just kind of playing wherever I happen to be standing. I mean, that's awesome, though, right? I mean, it's like as TV and everything has shifted from, you know, as as an oldster, you know, I'd be like, oh, I need to be home <laughs> at eight to watch Buffy to now a friend was saying like, oh, so last night, you know, it was, um, Glow was on. So my girlfriend and I watched Glow and I was like, wait a minute, Glow wasn't on last night. Glow is always on right like right (laughs) so much of tv is whenever you want it and to see games and things like that doing in Fortnite, certainly and a lot of games that service games do this but where it's a it's a timed thing where people need to interact with it then and there or otherwise they miss out on it um again as an oldster i'm nostalgic for that i like that like community um limited time experience thing even though i i miss the time more often than not but i i love that idea of if you want it, this is when you have to do it. And it brings people together in a cool way. 
Absolutely. Because there'll be a bunch of people outside doing the exact same thing as me. I mean, you'll see, I'm sure you guys at least saw the first couple weeks the Pokemon Go was out, the insane amount of people who were just walking around like zombies with their heads yeah. in their phones, <laughs> yeah. right? So it brings back, you know, that sort of same feeling of community. A lot of the people walking around are doing the same thing. It's, you know, it, obviously it's dropped off quite a bit from that, from that craziness. But you still end up being around a bunch of people who are doing the same thing that you're doing. And that's what I was going to say. It, it's, you know, when it launched, it was everywhere. It was like the thing. I mean, you would go into stores and there'd be signs up saying, you know, Pokemon Go Gym or or the opposite, which is like, please don't play Pokemon Go here or whatever. Uh, and it, it just felt like it was in the zeitgeist. Everybody was talking about it. You, you couldn't walk down the street without seeing people playing it. And I feel like it has ebbed away from that. And I I'm, I haven't thought about it in a while, but it's awesome knowing that there's still a vibrant community playing it however many years later. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's not quite the same. People aren't yelling at each other. You know, when, when it first started, I loved being able to just walk down to like my local park and someone would just shout from across the park, like, there's a Growlithe over <laughs> Everybody here. Everybody would stampede. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. It was so funny. But, but that's okay. There's still a good amount of community out there. And also it felt like right when it launched, everybody predicted that there was going to be all of these copycat games. And that hasn't really happened. It feels like it's still fairly unique a thing. Uh, in the AR world, but cool. Uh, Christian, what about you? What's on your playlist? Well, I mentioned uh, up top, I had my first victory Royale in Fortnite. Uh, yeah, so you got like what, like three or four more mentions coming in the show of that? No, this is the only one. <laughs> season five started. Oh, okay. So I, I have, I have monetized in Fortnite. Uh, I've purchased two one-off skins and I, I jumped on this season to experience the, I've, you know, I, you know, I've been playing, talking about it on the show a lot, and, and playing it a decent amount. So this is why you asked Kelsey how much she spent on the game because you want to, you want to check in with yourself and be like, oh, okay, I'm cool, I'm cool. Yeah, I'm all right, all right. Four hundred dollars, it feels good, it feels good. Uh, <laughs> set up my own bank account. My wife can't look at it. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Um, but it, it's interesting, right? Like seeing how Epic is progressing the game. I don't need to belabor the point because season five is going to continue and think things will get more interesting going forward but right now they've introduced they call it an atv but it's kind of a golf cart that runs anywhere it's like a real vehicle unlike the shopping carts before tons of fun tons of fun playing with those things and then the rifts that are in the world now are at least as far as i know and i haven't read deep into it yet but in my experience they're teleporters but you don't necessarily i'm not exactly sure where it goes <laughs> i'm sure people that play more than me maybe know you know, this one over here takes you there, but it, it changes the layout of a game when you're playing somebody and they run into this rift and then appear above you and have an opportunity to glide away or do whatever. So really interesting stuff. The part of the map is now a desert and it's just slowly changing this this one play environment. So I'm still having still having fun. And then the other games I want to talk about, um, our power was out all day Saturday and it was very hot. We, we knew it was going to be out, so we planned accordingly. And I took my youngsters to Dave and Buster's. Because um, nice. during the day, kids are allowed, you know. I have not been to a Dave and Buster's for probably a year, maybe a little longer. And the new Halo game was there. Halo Fireteam Raven. I don't know oh, if I right. Yeah, supposedly you're able to like take your progression and track it at home or something in that game, right? Oh, I don't know anything about that. I'm not I'm not sure. It's a four-player cooperative game set in the same time as the first Halo. 
Um, it was announced back in March, I think. It was like a new Halo game is coming. And, and then there was like, yeah. And then it was like only at arcades. And people were like, oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> Are there those? Oh, Dave and Busters <laughs> is what you were talking about? Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's Raw Thrills developed, which if you've seen any arcade game in the past 10 years, it's Raw Thrill. Like they do all of the you know Jurassic Park seated kind right. of shooting things. All those games are almost all Raw Thrills. But it's with Microsoft Studios and 343 at least branding on it. And it's a huge 4K screen. The cabinet I was playing at or the environment in which I was playing, I guess, is a four-person sit-down thing with, like, the booth comes over and behind you. And it's two huge screens that are connected to each other. So it's kind of like an ultra-wide monitor. And you you have to look over all the way over. It's not just right in front of you. Um, How much does it cost? Uh, it's Dave and Buster at like 7.8. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Are they doing like a points thing? I don't even know. Yeah, it's like a play card and, and you, uh, you... I thought, yeah, okay. Yeah, you put it in and I don't know. Uh, the same price as everything else it seemed like. Um, did not have a, a, a line or a crowd around it. Um, other games did. We weren't there at a super crowded time, but I was like, oh, I, I gotta, I want to make sure to play that before we leave. <laughs> and Amanda, my wife just goes, you could just go play now. And I was like, Oh yeah, no one's over there. Cool. <laughs> I'll go play. Um, it's like the cabinet and all that stuff and like the sound. It was really, really neat and impressive and the huge screen. But everything else about the game I found to be pretty disappointing. It is a shooter. Is it a light gun game? Um, it is a light gun game. And it tells a story. You can choose to just pick any level throughout the story if you want to just kind of jump farther ahead or you can start at the beginning kind of work your way through the story and it um, has the halo enemies you know and love and it's just weird because graphically it didn't like the screen was crisp but graphically it looked worse than halo 5 to me and this is a on rails light gun shooter versus a big game that's tracking ai in an interesting way and doing things you know where i can run around in these these big battlefields and then i think the thing that was most disappointing to me is that it's seated and your your light gun is mounted so it's like mounted on a swivel it's not like in it but on screen it looks like the assault rifle but it doesn't have i wanted to you know hold the thing like the way you can in um oh what gosh what's the best what's a namco oh Time crisis? Is it time crisis where like the hammer actually cocks as you shoot and it's like you feel it in your hand? It might be time yeah. crisis. But like that, you know, you're pulling it out of the holster and you shoot off screen to reload. This is just feels like a, a water hose almost. And then you have a grenade mm. and you push the grenade button and it just launches out of your assault rifle. It doesn't have like an arc or whatever. Anyway, I was very excited to play it and I left pretty disappointed. Um, it was just like, it was fine, but I either would have been playing Virtua Cop or like a light gun game that had nostalgia attached to it than some. I was like, I'd rather just be playing Halo right now. I love the idea of your kids are like the parent uh, with the sad kid who was all excited <laughs> for his birthday party at the Dave and Buster's. And then it was just, and then on the way home, you're like, it's okay, I'm fine. And they're like, no, daddy, it's all right. We, we still love you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was a sad dad, and my kids were like, we can get ice cream after. And I was like, thanks, kids. <laughs> and we had fun. But one game that I played that I really liked, and it's been out for a while, but I think it's such a cool implementation of it works so well in arcade games, is the um, Halo, uh, Halo Mario Kart Arcade. 
it's like Mario Kart GXP Cup or whatever it's called. Um, it was a four-player racing thing, and we were played with three people, and it felt like the computer isn't quite as rubber bandy as home Mario Kart because we did, I think, three races, and every time we were, it was us real people that finished first, second, and third, so we weren't getting blue shelled right at the end and having you know Bowser zoom by or something like that. But really fun, really cool, nice little twists on how the the game plays where you start, there's like kind of a slot machine thing and you just kind of, you can try to be skillful and stop it on something, but it selects which items you're going to pick up. So there were three items, one you shoot in front of you, one that's kind of your shield and one that launches behind you. So every time you play, you have potentially get different items at all operate about the same but one time you might hit that and you get you have red shells when i was playing i never had the possibility of getting a red shell it's not like in home mario kart where you hit the question mark box and it kind of cycles through and you might get something different you're either going to get something you can shoot in front of you around you or behind you um so it's a fun a twist that keeps it very arcadey as as you're racing around and it just was fun to sit there and have the wheel rumble and stuff like that and be playing it with a steering wheel in it it looked it looked great. And then the last game I'll mention, did you guys did you guys know that there was a Luigi's Mansion arcade game? Yes. I don't think I did, but it, it tracks. Oh, you knew about it, yeah, Kelsey? Yeah, there's one well, we have a round one here in Seattle, which is like the David the better version of Dave and Buster's. Yeah. It's the Japanese version of it, essentially. Uh, and so yeah, they've it, I think that one may still like technically be a Japanese game. Like I don't know if they really have well, I guess you, if you, you were playing at Dave and Buster's, it probably was all in English then, huh? Yeah, yeah, it was in English. Have you played it before? I have, yeah. It's pretty neat. Yeah, it's really cool. Like, this game, it gives you, like, your, your gun. It looks like the vacuum in-game. It has, like, the wide head on it. And you have two buttons. One is to shine the light to stun them, and then the other one is to when they're stunned enough to suck them in. So it's still on rails, but it gives you branching pathways the way light gun games of past used to where you can like shoot the street sign to go uh on the freeway or through the tunnel or whatever you want to oh, do it's first person it's first person um in that world in that mansion and it has like fun little mechanics where like a ghost will pull away so you need to you know pull the opposite direction much like the the game would where you have to kind of get into this tug of war with with the ghosts but again, a really cool cabinet that comes around and surrounds you and you, you really feel like you're in it. And just having the item look like the thing that you would have in the game, I think, goes such a, a long way. And, and you're able to pick it out of the holster and point it around. Really, really fun. The, the girls really liked it. And then afterward, my five-year-old goes, you know what? I think I might try vacuuming at home. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, it's exactly the same. Yes, Just do that, like please. That. All of yeah. the dust here, these are ghosts. You gotta, right. <laughs> gotta get them all. Yeah. But we had a we had a good time. But I would say if anyone else has played Halo and they, they really liked it, I'd I'd be curious enough if it clicked later. I did uh two continue, so three games worth of of playing, and I just found it to be like <sighs> Was it a time limit thing? Or no, it, it's it's lives and death, but it has those shooter um light gun things where it's like instant you you can't not get hit you know what i mean like right. it, it guys are going to jump out right in front of you and, and they have a shield and they're going to hit you twice before you're able to take them down and i guess if you're playing with four other people and you have it memorized you can probably get pretty further uh get further per life but it just felt like a wasted use of the ip and something that i think they could have done something much more interesting with and ultimately just left me coming home and wanting to play halo 5 when my 
power eventually turned back on. Who knew that you would like Luigi's Mansion more than Halo in the arcade? Yeah, I think it really is that experience, though, right? Like how you feel when you're doing it. And Halo left me feeling like this is a bad version of Halo. And Luigi's Mansion made me feel it felt like um, an amusement park ride more so. Would it feel better if you had to put on like Master Chief armor when you step (laughs) in? Or at least the helmet, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Short answer, yes. Long answer, not a Dave and Buster's used one, no. (laughs) (laughs) This smells like youngster. (laughs) But I think standing Uh, and having an AR that you pull out would have gone a long way for that game versus seated in like a mounted turret. That's not a turret. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the, my playlist is, um, uh, the Bard's Tale for the Barrows beta. Uh, I should mention that I, I never do this, but for this game, I made an exception. I kickstarted Bard's Tale 4. Uh, the first Bard's Tale was kind of the game that turned me into a gamer. It was like the first computer game I played with my friend. We were really young and I was like, this is what a role-playing game is. And it, it turned me into somebody that loved video games. So the Bard's Tale has always been a very, very close to my heart, uh, very special series for me. And I was excited about uh, Brian Fargo returning to the series and, and in exile making Bard's Tale for the Barrows. So I kickstarted it. Um, I don't know how long ago now, a year more, two years. I don't know how long it's been going. But uh, they finally uh, announced a release date, which will be in September. And they also uh, released a playable beta for Kickstarter backers, and I have played it, and I am really in love with it. I'm really in love with it. It feels like it's quirky, it's different, it's a, a throwback, and also something fresh all at once. I'm in love with it. I mean, Bard's Tale is, was a party-based role-playing game, but done in the first person. Even the very first game was very rudimentary graphically, but uh, in the first-person perspective as a whole party was like walking down these corridors and going into dungeons and stuff. And so this game is also that you have a party of adventures that you're able to cobble together and rearrange and swap in and swap out people. And you're playing in the first person. No longer is it, um, you know, grid based where you move forward one unit of movement. You now have free movement like you would in any first person shooter. Um, But then when you get into combat scenarios, it turns into a turn-based game, just like those old Bard's Tale games. And the combat system I find to be delightful. Uh, it is very much up my alley. I love turn-based combat anyway, but the way they do this party system where uh, there's a four-by-four four grid on your side and on the enemy's side. And players or uh, party members can occupy any space in that four-by-four four grid. And combat involves a lot of moving between those uh spaces. So there are different attacks that you can do that will attack certain grid, uh, certain spaces of the grid ahead of you. So maybe you can shoot a bolt of lightning directly ahead that'll attack, you know, the first and second space that's directly in front of you. Or maybe you have a a crazy attack that can kind of do, um, you know, orthogonal squares to what's in front of you. So a lot of that positioning is very important based on who you can hit and where you, where they can hit you. So you need to move out of the way of certain things. Um, and I love all that stuff. I love that strategic thinking of positioning, moving my guys around. They do this really cool thing of you have uh, little portraits of all your party members. And when you click on them, they turn to face you 
And when you when they're attacking, they turn away. So you see the back of their heads and then they attack. I, I don't know. I love that kind of stuff. All the uh, the spell effects and and um, attacking animations are um, abstracted, but really cool. They're the the effects are really neat. Like uh, I have these mind attacks on my. Uh, I have a practitioner, which is what their magic users are called, uh, and uh, I have this mind attack, and it like makes that bad guy's uh, brains glow purple and then their eyes explode and they start screaming. So cool looking. Um, there's puzzles that are really clever, like how you unlock doors, you move gears into place and you have to sort of do a legit logic puzzle in order to unlock the doors. So much fun stuff. The thing I love the most, honestly, about this game is the voice acting. It is some of the best voice acting I have ever heard in a video huh. game. It is, uh, so Bard's Tale, at least this Bard's Tale, I mean, traditionally Bard's Tale, the, the starting town was Scarab Bray, which is a Scottish uh, term or, you know, Scottish descendant kind of name. And uh, so they actually went to Scotland and recorded all of the voice actors in Scotland. And so you don't have a bunch of, American actors like me trying to do a Scottish accent, you know, it's like legit. It, it's not my terrible version or any other terrible version. It's legit. And they're really good. They're really, really good. And all the characters are voice acted. Um, all the, you know, all the NPCs are voice acted. It's a full voice acted game. And I just love listening to the performances. They're all like sort of different areas of Scotland and they have a different brogue, you know, uh, intonations. It's, it's really listenable and it's really well performed. I love it. Um, the stories, uh, such as it is, is very traditional. But, I mean, this is a game. It feels like a labor of love. It's certainly a purchase of love for me. And one I'm excited to play the full game of because, you know, it's called a beta, but it's really a demo. I'm just really excited about uh, Bard's Tale for The Barrows. How much does it feel like a 2018 game? And how much does it feel like... Um, I'm trying to see, I'm trying to compare, like, how much is this ukulele to that RPG or how much is it, uh, a Bethesda game, you know, like have learned from other games in the genre? Yeah, I think that's a great question. It is, it's not ukulele, right? It's not trying to be the old game. It's trying to be, what if somebody made that old game style now? Hmm. So it, it, I mean, it's not going to compare to God of War or Assassin's Creed visually, right? It's an Unreal Engine 4 game, so it looks fine, but it's not... And I think, the, like I said, the spell effects are really nice. and But the character models aren't, you know, going to be competing with Naughty Dog in any, anytime soon. It's The lip syncing isn't great. It's, it's, it's a small team, right? It feels like a labor of love game, right? So there, there are parts of it aspects to it that feel um uh what's the word i'm looking for um less than triple a maybe i don't know i think that's kind of unfair even to say but maybe never does it feel like a throwback it feels like let's re re-examine how this these old games were made and try to update them and make them feel contemporary Hmm. and i think they succeed in creating something really unique and something that hasn't really existed it's neither directly those old things nor anything else i've actually played now it's sort of a hybrid and it lives in its own unique space which is really cool yeah that's interesting kelsey did you ever play any of these older rpg this this style of game before yeah i played some on 
PC back when I was younger, and I'm trying to recall any actual names, but I know that I did have some sort of uh, generic, you're in front of the person, and there's a bunch of different options for pointing and clicking on everything, but I don't... um, It's not something I've really played a lot recently, nor do I miss a whole lot. So it's interesting. I mean, I know it's probably one of those product of its time things where you're going to be a lot more excited if you grew up playing a lot of these rather than just sort of my friend had this and I played a little bit of it too. That's what I was wondering. Yeah, like how much does it appeal to, you know, today's gamer? And I think there are a lot of games like that. Like I loved Sonic Mania and like how much does that appeal? I I wish I could have played that having not, grown up loving sonic 2 and sonic cd it's such it's an interesting place where games are now where we can have games like this that i think are great by themselves but i also can't judge them objectively (laughs) because i'm right well i think i think there's a really great comparison to be made to octopath traveler right because while many people were playing final fantasy 4 i was playing ultima and might and magic and pc games Right. right that i was that's i grew up primarily a PC gamer and played console stuff too, but I didn't fall in love with Final Fantasy the way other people did. I fell in love with Might and Magic, Ultima, Wizardry, you know, um, Pools of Radiance, the D&D Gold Box games. Like those were, those were my formative uh, games. And I think that in the same way that Octopath Traveler is uh, evoking those things, but uh, also feeling modern in its own way. Like it, it, it does the things those old games do, did, but also it feels contemporary in, in its presentation and it's sort of rethinking some of those systems. I think that's very much exactly what Bardstale 4 is trying to do and that's succeeding awesome. in doing. Have they given a date yet? Do you know? I know you follow yeah. it much more closely than I do. I think it, I want to say 16th, September. It says, I know it's September, but I think it's 16th or it's in the teens somewhere. In soon. September. Yeah, yeah, soon. It's been in development a long time. Um, very, very cool. Um, all right, let's uh, oh, thank our next sponsor. I'm so excited about this sponsor, you guys. I really am genuinely excited about this sponsor. Uh, we're sponsored by Third Love. And there may be a lot of you out there that's ne- that have never heard about uh, of Third Love. I hadn't. My wife had. And I love the fact that Third Love is sponsoring our show. Here's a, a video game show hosted by two dudes uh, and, and guests. Uh, but third love looked at us and said, you know what? You guys have enough of a female audience enough, enough women listening, uh, enough men who love women, <laughs> uh, that are close to them in their lives listening that we want to sponsor you. And I just, I'm so proud of that for a video game show, uh, that we do, uh, third love makes undergarments for women. They make bras and, they, uh, my wife was thrilled uh, to um, get a bra from from Third Love, and uh, has really, really enjoyed the experience. The thing about Third Love is it, in the way that some other companies have redefined what it's like to purchase things that normally you purchase by going into a store, and you don't really want to do that. Third Love did that for buying bras. So I didn't know about any of this, but my wife tells me. That, uh, you know, if you go to Victoria's Secret or some other store like that and you get a bra, you go in and they measure you and they like are, you know, touching you and doing all kinds of stuff that, you know, taking measurements. And it's not fun. It's not, it's uh, tedious and you have to go into the store to do it. 
Third Love figured out a way to do that where they do it through a questionnaire and it takes very little time and they are able to size you and provide you with the correct broad that will actually be super comfortable and super high quality without you having to go through that experience. And I was just talking to my wife right before we started um, recording. She said straight up without me prompting her, she said, my third love bra is the best bra I've ever owned. It's pretty amazing. They have more sizes than any other brand. In fact, they invented half sizes. Nobody had done half sizes before third love did. And so they have uh, way more sizes that will ensure a perfect fit. Um, they say that it's fun to do the quiz. My w- wife really enjoyed it. She said it was super easy and they ask you questions. So they ask you like what size you you previously worn, what problems you've had with it. And my wife said that one of the things she's always encountered was that the strap that is above the breast and below the shoulder, like that connects the top of the bra to your shoulder, uh, often has a gap in it. And it looks ugly when, you know, you have a shirt over it and it kind of, you know, it's pops out and stuff. Her third love bra does not do that. It's super comfortable. She said it washes really well. It's, it's great. I'm so glad that she loves it. And I'm so glad to bring this to our audience because, um, these are, I think, uh, this is a really cool way to reinvent how you purchase this product. And we have a special deal for our listeners. Third Love knows that there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering our listeners 15% off your first order. If you go to thirdlove.com slash DLC, that's T-H-I-R-D-L-O-V-E.com slash DLC. Now you can find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash DLC for 15% off today. Christian, your wife got one of these too, right? Oh no, she, she doubled down. She was like, Oh wait, you're, you're telling me you got, this is a spot. Yeah, we're, we're doing this. So, <laughs> uh, she went and got a strapless and a racer back and they, uh, perfect for this Los Angeles heat wave. The strapless has been a big hit and the racer back as well, mostly for, tank tops where the mm. back kind of goes narrow and you want, don't have bra straps on, on your shoulders and she loves them. She legitimately loves them. And when I told her too, it was the same reaction your wife had. She was like, you're kidding me. Right. And I was like, no. And she's like, oh, sweet. And she already had like her cart set up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, they have a tagless labels for no itching straps that won't slip ultra soft, smoothing fabrics, lightweight, super thin memory foam cups. And, they guarantee a perfect fit. Returns and exchanges are free and easy. They say 50% of women fall in between standard cup sizes, so they invented half cup sizing. Uh, I think this is pretty cool. So again, thirdlove.com slash DLC gets you 15% off. Uh, I, and I love, like I said, I am so uh, over the moon that they that our audience is something Third Love wanted to reach out to. It just makes me proud. In the chat right now, honestly, my wife just got some from them a few weeks ago. She said they're the most comfortable she has ever had. Yeah. Yeah. Don't trust us. Don't trust trust us. Trust Twitch chat. I feel like a bad girl because I had never heard of this company. And now I'm like, oh, well, this is cool. Yeah. Gave 15% off. (laughs) Thirdglove.com slash DLC. Check it out. (laughs) 
I know I'm the only one that has played any VR this week, but I did want to bring up a game because it's a pretty big release. Uh, it's been in early access, I think, but it just came out officially. It's a game called Seeking Dawn, and uh, I'm playing it on Oculus Rift. It's also available on Vive on Steam. And I thought it would be uh, actually even more appropriate to bring up this week because of Christian's discussion about Halo Fireteam Raven, because Seeking Dawn is a first-person shooter, sci-fi first-person shooter, where you're in space marine gear and you go on an alien planet and you attack a lot of, you, know, you shoot up a lot of aliens. It, it really is as close to virtual reality Halo as I've ever played. The Your perspective is as if you're wearing a uh, a helmet and you've got that visor projection that we all have when we play Halo, you know, that you see on your television screen with your ammo and your health and stuff it's and and you know cool scanning and waypoints and things it does that but it projects it in 3d in vr as if you're wearing that helmet and because you're wearing a vr you know headset it actually is pretty cool and immersive because it feels like yeah i'm wearing this cool uh helmet like a like the master chief might um so it really does feel like halo it also is i think in the top two or three probably best looking VR games I've ever played. It is spectacular looking. I mean, uh, immersive, vibrant. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, atmospheric. That's the word I was looking for atmospheric it's got uh there are tons of like little alien creatures that are constantly around and you got you know the big things that are coming out and attacking you but it's got uh there are bugs and creepy crawlies and the and the whole world is just chock full of life and movement the uh the alien vegetation kind of grows and moves around you and stuff glows it is absolutely just gorgeous inside the vr headset very impressed with this game. The The UI system is, is really clever on how you uh, deal with your inventory. And it's very much a looter shooter. You're, you're killing things. They're popping loot out. You, you know, loot it and re- get new cool stuff. And you've got a crafting system. And honestly, that's where the game starts to disappoint a little bit. For some reason, the designers of Seeking Dawn were not satisfied making a really cool Halo-esque shooter with amazing graphics. They also decided they wanted to create a a bit of a survival game, which, you know, they're very in vogue these days. So you have to deal with all these survival things like you're, you know, you got to drink water and eat food every so often. So you got to craft things to eat and drink. And it's kind of cool because you actually bring things toward your mouth to eat them or drink them fine uh but it starts getting tedious really really quick especially in a game like that where i just kind of want to be having fun and playing you know balls to the wall crazy i gotta constantly be worrying about this tick 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 down in my visor of how quickly i need to drink something which i mean i understand there's tons of games like that um arc and conan and lots of others but it just doesn't it just didn't make this game better. In fact, it made it worse. And the the getting and mining of crafting materials gets to be really intense. And it feels unbalanced at a certain point because 
there are big boss enemies that require certain kinds of ammo and you can only craft that ammo. And so if you run out, you have to go and craft it and you got to get the right crafting materials. You got to search around the world. And it just, it just derails itself from what was a really impressive first couple of hours into something that just gets a little too tedious too quickly. And I just wanted to turn all of that off and go, just give me this rad adventure with spectacular graphics and a really atmospheric environment. I don't need those extra things. Or if I do rebalance it or make it more fun to do, make it more integrated. And it felt like a very uh, bifurcated experience. It's like do the cool, fun stuff and then do the chores. You know, you got chores you need to do also. And sometimes these survival games do feel a little bit like chores. It's like, "Uh Oh, you haven't drank enough water, go drink more water. Uh, So I was a little disappointed, even though I do recommend it. If you have, uh, you know, a VR headset, check out uh, Seeking Dawn because it is truly one of the most breathtakingly beautiful games I've played in VR. And the and the shooting is super fun. I mean, it's got that the thing I love where the numbers pop off the thing as you shoot it. And it, in VR, it looks really cool because the numbers are, you know, three-dimensionally projected onto the thing. And um, and if you crit, it looks really cool and it crits. And, uh, and you, you crit by shooting, a, you know, in the face or a specific vulnerable point. And, uh, and, and the, when the loot pops off it, it's really fun. And then you reach out and you sort of drag it to yourself and so much of what it does, it does right. It just derails itself by making some poor design decisions, in my opinion. It's coming to, I know they announced a, a big content update that they said will be included in the game before it comes to PSVR. So right. it seems like they're listening to feedback um, and trying to implement some of those changes. So it'll be interesting to see how the game you know, live. And it already, you know, it already is a game that has had big seismic changes through its development. So hopefully they continue to listen to, I don't know if I'm, if a lot of people have the same issues I do, but hopefully they continue to evolve the game as, as these games tend to. Uh, And I also hope that when it comes out on PSVR, I haven't checked to see if this has been announced or not, but I hope it supports the aim controller because that would be rad. So again, that's called Seeking Dawn, and I played it on Oculus. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's do some quick questions. But first, I want to thank Casper. Casper, you know, you've heard me talk about Casper before. Casper is a sleep brand that makes expertly designed products to help you get your best rest one night at a time. And uh, I got a Casper mattress. I certainly did. It's the only way, I think, to get a mattress these days. I do not want to go into a big box store and try to make a decision in, in a couple of minutes by laying down on something and having a high-pressure salesperson come up to me and go, is it comfortable? What do you think? You want to buy it? Is it thousands of dollars? And I go, no, 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 no. What I'd like to do is go home, do a couple of clicks, have it sent to me, have a Casper mattress sent to me, open it up, unfold before my very eyes, uh, as mine did, and then give me a 100 nights to make up my mind and decide whether or not I want to keep my Casper mattress. It will uh, undoubtedly be easier and undoubtedly be less expensive because they cut out the middleman of all those physical locations and people. Um, Also, people are agreeing that Casper is great. Over 20,000 reviews and an average of 4.8 stars across Casper, Amazon, Google. Uh, Casper is becoming the Internet's favorite mattress. Uh, They have two other mattresses other than the original, the Wave and the Essential. The Wave features patent-pending premium support system to mirror the natural shape of your body and the Essential has a streamlined design at a price that won't keep you up at night. 
and they have free shipping and returns in the U.S. and Canada. It's so easy. They ship it to you free, give you 100 nights. If you don't like it, they come and pick it up. It's pretty great. So uh, this is a risk-free sleep on a trial. So, uh, guys, check this out. I uh, I am so glad I did. I think you should too. $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash DLC and using the promo code DLC at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Again, casper.com, C-A-S-P-E-R.com slash DLC. And the promo code DLC gets you $50 off a great mattress like I have. Time for some quick questions. Those, of course, submitted by you, our listeners. You can always submit those to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Also, you can send any question you like or comment about the show. We listen. We read all of them. That's uh, uh, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Also, we have in the subreddit a new sticky thread, Quick Questions 2.0. So if you prefer to use the old subreddit, you can post your quick question there. Okay, first one comes from Eric Christopher Holtnace. Hopefully I pronounced that close to right. Uh, Eric says, quick question. When you guys play choice-based games, like all the Telltale games, do you make your choices based on what you think your character in that game would do or what you as yourself would do? He says, I play as myself, but my best friend tries to get into the mind of the character and make choices based on that. Kelsey, what do you do? This is such a cool question because I honestly hadn't even considered that there was another way to make choices (laughs) than playing as myself. I really had never thought of that legitimately. I always have made choices based on myself. And as a result, I have a hard time being like mean in video games. Mm. Uh, I have a hard time telling people no in video games. It's it's (laughs) really, it's kind of dumb because, you know, there's not real consequences that go along with it, but but I play as myself anyway. So I love this. I love that there are people that do that, but no, I, I just always play as myself. I am a hundred percent the exact same answer. I, I can only play as what I would do in that situation. And, uh, I, as a result, same as you, I am like Mr. Goody two shoes and super nice to everybody and just want everyone to get along. Maybe Uh, it's what we think of ourselves. Like we think (laughs) that we're these angelic, Absolutely yeah. lovely people who would always make the right choice, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Which brings me to Christian. Do you play as you, Christian, or do you play as the character? If it is, I'm playing as like an empty vessel, you know, something like an infamous or a Bethesda game. We're not even totally empty, but that style of game, I play as me. If I'm playing a Telltale game, I play as those characters, especially where the really? Telltale game. Yeah, I mean, you, you a lot of those games you play as different characters for different acts, for different scenarios. So the way one person would answer a question is different than the way someone else would answer a question. You know, like if I'm this isn't from the game, but like if I'm playing as Carl, my choices would be different than if I were Rick or something. I, I can't remember any of the characters from the games. I, I played the first two seasons, but I don't remember. But you get to decide who Carl or Rick not, are. Not, in the, not all the time in the Telltale games, because sometimes you've interacted with that character a whole bunch before mm. you ever get to play as them. Right. So to me, it's like, well, this guy didn't give me a candy bar earlier, or you know, this person stole earlier, and I caught them, and I gave them another chance. And now I'm playing as that character. Um you know, this is how that interaction is going to be. And sometimes you don't always bounce around, you know, the Batman games and stuff like that. You are one person. And I think it was 
uh, one of the side quests you played as just the the, the young girl um, for the, the whole campaign. But I typically try to play as the character if they give that character some characterization and I'm able to play as them. But oftentimes I feel like these games are just like it, you, you in this world, well, and that's kind of the intent, then I will play as myself. It and, seems like the the Batman is a perfect one because everybody knows who the Batman is and the kind of decisions that the Batman would make, right? <laughs> right? Uh, not always. I mean, you feel like you have the deepest amount of knowledge about that character. I can't tell if you're being sarcastic or not. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm totally being legit. Like, the Batman wouldn't... Uh, he's not necessarily going to be nice to everybody, Right. He's the Batman. Right. He plays that character. That's what I'm saying. That's, that's, I feel like I wouldn't. I would be like, what if Jeff was wearing the cowl? Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm the of... nice Batman. Yeah, <laughs> the nice Batman. Yeah. If yeah. Jeff was wearing the cowl, Batman stops working out, has ice cream after dinner, <laughs> hangs Aww. it up, falls, finds, falls in love again, starts a family, just <laughs> uses his money to for you know, efforts around the city instead of punching it. He tries to build up the city. It's like a totally different game. If Jeff is the bad man, <laughs> it's less, a lot less fun. <laughs> All right. Uh, this one comes from Hunter S who says, uh, quick question. What was your longest continuous video game session? And did you regret it afterwards? Kelsey? I'm trying to think of what my literal longest one was because I've had a lot of, you know, day one of a game that I'm really excited about and I don't stop playing until I really cannot continue playing. Like my eyes are closing by themselves. Um, But the one that I can remember in most recent memory was when Pokemon X and Y came out. I took the day off work and I quite literally went home, got into my bed and I spent about... I want to say like 18 hours straight in bed playing. Like I beat wow. almost the entire game in one day. It was, it was pretty crazy. <laughs> That's amazing. And I love the, I mean, a, a handheld game release is, is sort of the, the perfect version of this. Cause you, you just can do it in bed. You just, I mean, I guess you could play video, you know, if you have a TV in your bedroom, but uh, I love the idea of you just like curled up with the pillow, uh, playing game nonstop. Yeah, it was comfortable the whole time. So that it's a self-fulfilling, <laughs> you know, it just gets worse and worse because you're comfortable, you don't want to move. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. Christian, what about you? What's your Oh, oh, what's the second part? Did you regret it, Kelsey? Oh, uh not particularly. I mean, looking back, I'm like, well, could I have been more productive on that day? Sure, <laughs> but I, you know, realistically, I was going to play that game for a long time anyways. It was the first day it was out and it was a game I was excited about. So, no, I don't I don't regret it. Cool. Christian, how about you? I don't remember mine as a verified oldster. I'm sure it was a long time ago. The time I remember, it's not that long, but a session that kind of blew me away for how quickly it went by. It was probably only seven hours, but it's when the first Uncharted came out. I sat down to play it. I was like, I want to check this game out. And I didn't get up until I beat it. I mean, I think I went to the bathroom or something, but I just sat down, played the game. Again, not super long, six, seven hours, whatever it was. But then I beat it and I was like, Oh, it's dark out. <laughs> I, I, I played this whole game. What an, what an amazing yeah. experience. But I don't remember, I'm sure in, in high school or something or college, there was probably, I, I bet it could have been something like Blitz where you sit down and you're like, I'll play a game of Blitz. And then a buddy walks into your dorm room and he's like, you playing Blitz? And you're like, yeah, we're playing Blitz. And then it's NFL Blitz? NFL Blitz 2000, Sega Dreamcast. I bet there's a good <laughs> chance it's that. Uh, well, the first thing that popped into my mind when answering this question was the fact that I did, uh, you know, a few years we did the um, um, Extra Life 24-hour game stream, 
which was playing games nonstop for 24 hours, which maybe isn't exactly the spirit of this question because it wasn't the same game for 24 hours. It was multiple games, but that wasn't a very intense experience just staying up for 24 hours, constantly playing games. But we bounced around, played tabletop stuff, played video game stuff. And so you, you know, there's enough, but by the end, man, it is, uh, it's hard to stay awake in those last couple of hours as you're like playing video games uh, with, on no sleep is, is intense. Uh, I would say probably, undoubtedly my longest same game video game session. I don't know how many hours it would be, but it would certainly be world of Warcraft because there were, there were definitely many, many days where I would wake up early and then like the next thing I knew it was dark outside and I was still in my underpants from waking up, you know, just like, Oh, I haven't moved from this. I didn't eat. That's weird. (laughs) I really thought, thought I would have noticed not eating, but I didn't. Um, and honestly, I miss those days. Uh, you know, having kids makes that impossible, and uh, I will never have that again. And it's until I'm, you know, my kids are gone, hey Jeff, go feed your kids, man. I don't know the last time they ate. <laughs> they, they, do, they, do they need that? <laughs> they don't need that. Every time you feed your character in game, feed your characters in real life. <laughs> That's why I need to play survival games. I get it now. It's a. It's like my kids need to survive. It really all makes sense now. Uh, uh, okay, this one comes from Scooby Diesel. Oh, buddy, Scooby Diesel. Uh, he says, movie-based games tend to be pretty bad and are typically cash grabs. That being said, if you could turn any movie into a game, what would it be? He says, I want to cheat and say another attempt at Jurassic Park or Jurassic World, but this time I want a survivor horror, survival horror attempt with a solid story. Think the Telltale game meets Dino Crisis Alien Isolation. Do you have, Kelsey, do you have a movie that would make a great video game? Yes, it is. Well, and now that the Battle Royale genre is so huge, this is is like a duh and maybe not as interesting. But I always thought the Japanese movie slash book Battle Royale. I don't know. Mm. Are you guys familiar with that? Sure. Yeah. It's about a bunch of like high schoolers who are, they you know, it's the last one standing. You all have to kill each other. Right. Haha. Have fun. You're all going to die. Uh, and it's a really good, intense movie. And I think it would make a great game, especially if, you know, in this scenario, everyone got sort of randomized weapons. Um, And it's not just like, oh, I found this weapon or whatever. It's like, this guy gets a frying pan, this guy gets a grenade launcher, you know, have at it. And it would be interesting for like really quick, maybe 20 or 30 person matches like that to just be luck of the draw you might get something bad and you'll see what you can do with it and see if anyone can actually beat you know win with a frying pan or something like that it would be it would be interesting i don't know i don't know how it would play out and maybe it wouldn't work now that everything's a battle royale but i mean it's almost like you got your wish really i mean everything yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) uh christian how about you you got a movie that would make a great video game I'd love a a Blade Runner, a great Blade Runner video game. I mean, certainly video games have been influenced by Blade Runner. Um, I mean, Cyberpunk is coming, right? right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'd love a proper, and I know there have been, and I think there was one that was actually halfway decent way back in the day. But I, I love that world, and I, I really loved the new Blade Runner movie as well. And I think I would spend a lot of time in that universe, it, even as a side story. I think it's rich and full and all the stories you've had in star Wars universes. I think you could have in that world as well. Uh, what about you, Jeff? I don't know. I mean, I was going to say a cheeky answer, like uh, 
my dinner with Andre, you know, how do you gamify that? I think it'd be really interesting to try. But uh, honestly, I think uh, universes are more interesting to me, like game universes, rather than trying to follow the exact story uh, of a game and or of a movie. And the game universes of older stuff like Willow or Princess Bride, like don't do the actual story of those movies, but do what else is happening in that game universe that we could find out about. And I think particularly Princess Bride might be kind of interesting just to see a comedic, you know, like a comedic uh, uh, fantasy game that is also really good. You know, I mean, there's been comedic fantasy games like King's Quest and stuff, but I feel like it could be interesting to do a full-on role-playing game in that world that was didn't take itself super seriously. I don't know. I dig that. Love to hear what you guys have to say about this one. Send me emails, uh, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Uh, our last quick question comes from our old friend, friend of the show, Patrick Beja, who uh, is in France and celebrating the uh, World Cup victory, but also is in France. And because we changed when we record our show, uh, kind of can't be a, a guest anymore. It's just time time zones uh, are make it very, very hard. So he sent in a email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com expressing his sadness that he uh, that kind of precludes that. But also with this quick question, he says, if you could have anyone from the industry as a, as a guest on the show, who would it be and why? This wouldn't be for an interview, just as a regular third chair. So Kelsey, you do a podcast. I wonder who would be your dream video game industry guest? Gosh, that's such a hard question because I feel like I only want to answer it with people that are completely impossible um, or or dead or, you know. So to me, I mean, I would just love to be able to pick the brain of or get the perspective of, uh, you know, one of the big like Japanese developers, Shigeru Miyamoto or, or someone who's mm. no longer with us like Satoru Iwata or uh, Gunpei Okoye or something. But uh, obviously, you know, none of those things <laughs> are possible whatsoever. Right. But it would be it would be cool to see that perspective because you just don't see them interacting candidly. Japanese developers interacting candidly with a lot of the U.S. media, and not in like a podcast form. You'll get interviews, but they'll be on specific subjects and that sort of thing. You don't get sort of their their candid opinions on things. So I'd always always wanted to see a podcast that had more of that perspective. Yeah. Yeah, and I expect, I expect with your love of video game history, it would be fun to dig into the brains of those those guys that were around and making all the games that we look back on with such fondness. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, Christian, how about you? Got a you got a dream guest for the show? Uh, it. I have a few people I think could be interesting, but it's also I think with this question comes with it like they're not going to be handled kind of like Kelsey was saying, they're going to just speak openly and yeah. can hang out. Cause right. one, I, I think we've hit many dream guests on this show. We've been very fortunate. That's Jeff, for sure. And, uh, that's for sure. We've had some incredible guests. Um, so this isn't meant to, I, I think you're looking back and it's like, maybe we've done it, but right now, someone I think that would be fascinating to talk to. Um, and I think you could get him being very honest would be, uh, Cliff Blazinski where he's kind mm. of retreated away from it. And, his attempt at lawbreakers and then the battle royale genre didn't pan out the way he wanted it to. And the genre is both like if you consider lawbreakers, a hero shooter, both are still doing very well. Right. And if you could get him to honestly talk about 
his hopes, dreams, desires, where he thought happened with the industry from, and, and if he has any regrets and also just hang out talking about the show, honestly, but like from perceived playboy driving a Ferrari to a guy that seemed very passionate and caring about the studio and this team he created. And also being a former youngster when he got into the business, I think he could be a really, really cool guest if he would open up. And then someone else I think that hasn't, you haven't really seen open up and just hang out on a podcast. Um, I think uh, Reggie would be pretty great because he's such a, he's so captivating to watch even doing scripted Nintendo directs. I think it'd be really fun to have him just talk games. And I know he's done some sit downs with Treehouse and stuff like that at E3s over the years, but just like talking just general games, I think would be really fun. Yeah. And, and I love the way that Patrick framed this, which is like, it's not even an interview. It's like, they're just hanging their regular third chair where it's like, what have you been playing? Let's talk about the news. I think, Cliff is a great answer uh, for that in particular, because it feels like he would have such strong opinions about all that stuff and he would be playing things and have opinions about what he's playing. Um, uh, we've been, we've, there's a lot of people we've talked to that haven't happened yet. Uh, so I don't want to mention anybody like that. I think my dream uh, honestly would be Richard Garriott. Uh, you, you guys have probably heard me say many, many times that Ultima seven is my favorite video game of all time. The Ultima series is very close to my heart. Um, I mean, Brian Fargo would be pretty amazing too. Uh, I should probably try to make get Warren on. He has a game coming out. Warren Spector. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Or even Peter Molyneux and like those kind of dudes who just to not even talk about their careers, although I wouldn't mind talking about their careers, but just having them weigh in on stuff that's happening now uh, would be, be or like richard garfield or amy hennig you know, there's the, so the, many there's so many there's a lot there's a lot so um if, if anybody knows ways to reach out to anybody please send them our way we would love to have them on uh but it's a great question patrick and uh you are also one of our dream recurring guests when we i was gonna say anyone here. but patrick <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right we move the show just to keep him off of it you're yeah, like hey patrick's been a guest a lot what do What's we do the most inconvenient time for france is what we said <laughs> and then we went from there um <laughs> <laughs> that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. We do have a parting gift coming up, so be sure to stick around for that. But Kelsey Lewin, thank you so much for being here. It's been great. Yeah, it's been awesome. This has been a fun conversation. Oh, great. I'm so glad you liked it. Uh, tell people where they can keep up with you and your goings on on the internet. Uh, the best places to find me are probably at youtube.com slash Kelsey Lewin. I'm also on Twitter at Kels Lewin. That's L-E-W-I-N. Most things that you can find me on are just my name. So Google that and I'm pretty much there. Cool. Christian, how about you? What do you got going on this week? Uh, I'm not that far ahead right now. Um, today was a busy day, Jeff. Today was a busy day. Twitter's a good way to find out, though. I'm in L.A. I guess I leave the end of the month, but I'm here. So if shows that pop up in L.A., Twitter's the best way. I usually don't know about them sometime till day of. That is at Spicer, or you can follow me on Instagram, which is Christian underscore Spicer. And then Twitch is just Christian Spicer. Again, yeah, some form of my name. Uh, and I have links to all of it on my website, ChristianSpicer.com. And I'm at Jeff Kanata on Twitter with two N's and one T. And I have the Slash Filmcast for you to check out and hear me talk about movies and TV shows. This week we are doing Skyscraper. And I will tell you, it is not an episode you will want to miss. Uh, it is a movie you might want to miss, but it's not an episode you'll want to miss. 
so you can find that at uh, slash filmcast.com. Uh, also, uh, be sure to st- stay tuned to the Twitter feeds of Christian and myself because we tweet out a video game related video uh, every week. Uh, that's about all I can say about that, I guess. Uh, I we- think it'll be compiled conveniently somewhere soon. Hopefully this week. Let's hope. We don't know, but let's hope. All right. Um, let's, uh, let's wrap the show up with our parting gifts. Kelsey, do you have a suggestion uh, for something to help people get through their week? I do. Um, it's funny because I know you say it shouldn't necessarily be a video game, okay. but this is very much related to video games. So That's fine. <laughs> it's, a, it's a recommendation, something that I pretty much just pick up and read a few pages of and sit down and I have been doing for the past couple of weeks. It's the Untold History of Japanese Game Developers. Mm. Uh, it's a giant book by John Zapaniak, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that correctly. But it's a bunch of just interviews with random Japanese game developers. It's been translated and annotated really well. And he just, he knows so much about each person that he's interviewing. You know, he doesn't go in and just ask generic questions. He asks very specific questions that pertain to their career. And you get some really interesting answers out of all of them. I know it's a very like on-brand recommendation for me. (laughs) No, that's great. uh, That's perfect. Yeah. But I've been really enjoying it. And, you know, it's not something, like I said, it's, you know, it's the size of a textbook. You can't just pick it up and read it cover to cover, but read one interview here and there. And I just kind of do that a couple times a day. It's been great. And again, that's called the history of uh, Japanese video games. The, the untold history of Japanese game developers. There's actually a second wow. volume out now, which I have not started reading yet. But yeah, definitely awesome. worth checking out. Oh, it sounds incredible. Christian, how about you? You got a parting gift? Well, I don't know. I, I think, Kelsey, I think 13 hours in bed, and you can get through that book if you really commit to it. <laughs> uh, Take my the day parting... off work and just yeah, day... textbook it up. Textbook it up. Get your highlighter. Um, it's not available everywhere yet, but a friend turned my wife and I onto it, and it is Imperfect Produce, and they send uh, ugly produce to you for like 30% less than what it would be at a grocery store, and it's something that, like a carrot that splits weird, and you know, grocery stores won't, won't stock it, but if you cut it up and cook with it or whatever, and like the fruit I've had has all been delicious. It's not like bruised, but it's a good deal on um, sustainable local produce and stuff like that and i know they're expanding their market but we've uh, we've really enjoyed it and it's eating eating more fruits and veggies it's like the island of misfit toys but for food yeah then you eat all the toys <laughs> nobody wants to play with a carrot in the box <laughs> uh that's great that's called what imperfect fruits imperfect produce imperfect produce boy i'm getting all the titles wrong today um we got a listener suggested uh parting gift this was sent to dlcfeedback at gmail.com as you can do if you'd like to get yours on the show this comes from rich from new york he says at a parting as a parting gift i would urge people to check out the geforce now beta which you can sign up to be on the waiting list for on pc and mac or is now currently free on the nvidia shield tv the service launched on shield tv a few years back and was far from impressive but they have vastly updated the service I own a GTX 1080, which is far more powerful than the Xbox One X or PS4 Pro, and I played Assassin's Creed Origins back-to-back between my GTX 1080 and streaming and could barely notice a difference. 
You can mess with the PC settings while the streaming, but I'm playing with all graphics settings maxed out on Ultra and still getting over 60 frames per second. Best of all, GeForce now links with your Steam library so you can play any game you own on Steam. I experience no noticeable latency, though I should say that I do have a fast internet connection, so not everyone might have a smooth experience as me, and the service is not 4K compatible, though some games still do have HDR. Still, this service does make me a believer in the technology, and after spending a ton on PC video cards over the past 10 years, I honestly believe that I will be switching to streaming from now on. Hmm. Wow. Impressive. Very cool. Check that out. Uh, and then my parting gift is also uh, kind of video game related. Uh, I've been watching the HGC, which is the Heroes Global Championship. It's been the North American uh, games have been this weekend and last weekend. And my goodness, have they been entertaining. Um, of course, I'm a huge Heroes of the Storm fan. Your mileage may vary as far as Heroes of the Storm goes. But give it a shot. Blizzard does such an incredible job with both Overwatch and Heroes, and for that matter, Hearthstone, with their uh, uh, esports coverage. It really is so professional. The commentators are so top-notch and so informative. They really make you understand what's going on. Uh, it, it's phenomenal, and the games are really exciting. I have really enjoyed watching the HGC on Twitch. Um, you can launch it right out of the Heroes brow- uh, launcher, but um, you can also find it on Twitch. So give it a shot. I, you know, I don't know how many people already watch esports or even esports for games they don't play, but it's thrilling, and I highly well, recommend it. Blizzard and Activision are hoping more. I mean, we didn't talk about it on the show, but they signed a yeah. big deal with Disney for Overwatch. So point. Yeah. trying to expand that market for sure. I want to thank Kelsey Lewin and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to all the folks in our chat rooms for hanging out with us in real time as well. You really make the show better in real time. We appreciate it. Also, thanks to everybody that downloads the show. Um, why not take a second, rate us on your platform of choice. It does help people find us. Also, thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for making those cool bumpers. We'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.